Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Okay, here we are. Fifth Avenue, East 81st. Man, it's so big. It is so, so big. I'm standing on a street corner in New York City next to a hot dog stand, staring up at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's monstrous and grand. It has these huge columns, and there are hundreds of people sitting on the stone steps out front. The Met is one of the most recognizable institutions in my city. And it houses one of the most significant collections of art in the world. To a lot of people, the Met can seem impenetrable. But I'm here to meet a man that's really good at getting it to open up. Hi. How are you, Patrick? I'm doing Got a million well. things. It's so nice to meet it's you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, How's thank everything you. been? Great. Thank you so much for doing Good. Good. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, that would be fun. Patrick Bringley was a guard at the Met for 10 years. When Patrick was 25, his brother died from cancer, and he wanted to change his life. He just wanted to stand still for a while, somewhere beautiful. So he shook everything up. We sit down together on the steps, and he tells me the story. I was at The New Yorker um, in their events planning department, and in a lot of ways it was a wonderful job. But while I was there, um, my brother got ill, and uh, so all of a sudden I was spending time just in hospital rooms and... uh, by Tom's bedside, and I suddenly felt like something very momentous was going on there in those quiet spaces that were filled with sorrow, but also beauty and a kind of simplicity. And when he died, I kind of wanted to be doing something that felt nourishing in some way for my soul and my intellect and everything else. And I thought to myself, well, what if I do this kind of straightforward and honest job and the most beautiful place that I can think of. What makes the Metropolitan Museum of Art the most beautiful place that you can think of? Well, you know, here we are sitting on these steps, and they're these temple-like steps. It's this sort of grand, numinous palace full of these things that are from every culture that you can imagine, and it's a place where you can go and feel quiet and contemplate those things. And it's also a place, I mean, where we're sitting right now, you cannot see the whole of the Met. This, to me, is kind of emblematic of the museum as a whole. It's a place that you can't wrap your mind around. And I'm rather fond of of places that I can just feel are inexhaustible. Patrick recently wrote a memoir about his time at the Met that I loved. It's called All the Beauty in the World. And today I've asked him to walk me through the museum and explain how he approaches art. And that's not just so we can understand the Met better, but also the Louvre, or the Prado, or the Vatican, or even the little museum in your hometown. Patrick's here to teach us new ways to see. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. 
Patrick and I stand up from the steps and we walk through the front doors of the Met. We go through a security line that keeps peeping at us and into the Great Hall. This is a majestic entrance hall, and it's full of people. New Yorkers, tourists, camp groups. You look one way, you see Greece. You look another way, you see Egypt. There's this huge stairwell in front of you that goes up to the European masters. We are in the entry point to the largest museum in the Americas. And our first barrier is just knowing which way to turn. I feel like there are a lot of people who, like, enter this great hall. (laughs) Is this the great? No, this isn't the great hall. This is the great hall. This is the great hall. Okay, we're in the great hall. It is this, like, classical, gorgeous temple-feeling thing. Uh, I feel like I'm in the Acropolis. And I feel like a lot of people come in and get pretty tired even just looking around, like, get pretty overwhelmed about where they start. Like, you're not going from the beginning of time to the end of time when you walk around. You could be going from medieval to modern or what like what advice do you give people who are walking in to a museum this big and this important just when they're starting no it's very true what you said people walk in here it's not clear where you're supposed to go the med is not a linear place um so my advice to them is first just get lost get your admission ticket start wandering don't bother to read all the labels just get a sense of how vast this place is because there's time later there's time later for saying okay now that i have a little bit of sense of what we're dealing with i just want to focus on the 19th century paintings or i just want to focus on cypriot art or whatever the case may be yeah okay where are we going i'm following you want to go into greece yes let's go to greece I'm Greek, so let's go to Greece. Hey, look at that. Of <laughs> yeah. course. Of course, the name. We turn left from the Great Hall. We walk right into Greece. We go through a barrel-vaulted gallery, past large marble statues of warriors and gods, past terracotta vases. And as we walk, Patrick stops me to point at a kind of stain on the wall. I never would have noticed it without him. So yes, we are heading into, in my day, this was Section K-1. If you get sent to Section K-1, one of the first things you're going to notice is these floors, which are made of marble, which are not good to stand on over the course (laughs) of an 8- or 12-hour day. There are parts of the wall that are sort of cloudy with a dark mark. And this is what we call in the trade a guard mark. This is from 100-plus years of guards leaning against this particular stone. That's all from the polyester, the paint from our polyester suits, the dye, whatever it is. Wait, that's amazing. So if if you're in a museum and you see a stone wall with a marking about hip height. Yes, about hip high, you know, (laughs) that's that's to try to save those feet from these stone floors. (laughs) What's interesting here, too, you know, we're walking through a a gallery of, um, you know, these white statues. But of course, you know, as you will know, being Greek, that an ancient walking through here would be puzzled by what he's seeing because he'd say, well, when are you going to paint all this stuff? Yeah, they were painted, like, very colorfully. Yeah. Yeah. I had a professor who said, um, you know, the Greeks were a very gaudy people. If they had (laughs) neon lights, they would have strung them on the Parthenon. Uh, So it was like a Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you walk into a museum, if you don't go that often or you're on vacation or something and 
you're with someone who probably didn't want to go. <laughs> and you know you want to, like, do the Met or do MoMA or do the Philly Museum of Art or do whatever it is. And you're seeing things, but you're also not stopping. And hour three, you start to get tired and hungry and cranky. And you leave and you didn't know the context for a lot of the things you saw and you just feel like maybe I'm not a museum person. <laughs> I feel like there could be small ways to just sort of like shift that mindset or change it um, and I'm curious what you think like how do you do that? One thing I'd recommend is try going alone. I yeah. mean obviously it's hard if you are traveling with people yeah. but your own home city mm-hmm. even if you think you're not an art person Go to the museum alone, because that will allow you to figure out for yourself in a kind of quiet way, what do I actually like here? Yeah. What do I value? Right now, you and I are walking through the medieval art, mm-hmm. and we're just talking about things that has nothing to do with medieval art. So as a result, we are not sort of penetrated by yeah. this stuff. Yeah. But if you and I just split off from each other, and I said, go look at this stuff for 15 minutes, and I'll look at this for 15 minutes. Right. Um, you kind of, your soul can quiet down, and you can begin to be penetrated by it. Yeah, 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 that's really good advice. All right, I think we'll go to a different section. Sounds great. The next place Patrick wants to bring me as we learn how to experience museums better is the newest building in the Met, the Robert Lehman Wing. We walk together into one of the country's most extraordinary donated private art collections. It has works that span 700 years. I mean, Robert Lehman, they sort of have tried to recreate his townhouse. And this is a good place to go if you don't want to feel overwhelmed. Yeah, it's so much quieter. It's quiet. You can probably even hear it in the tape. Exactly. Patrick wants to show me a few late Gothic, early Renaissance paintings of the life of Christ. Once when he was a guard, he overheard a visitor call these religious paintings the Jesus pictures. And I've personally never quite known how to appreciate the Jesus pictures. But Patrick loves the Jesus pictures, and I want to know why. I got to say that, you know, I am not a Christian, but I really adore these pictures. I mean, if you know anything about the 14th century, you know that that was a hard luck century. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe a third of Europe died in the bubonic plague. Some people see this stuff and I think they're conditioned to view it as very alien, you know, Mm -hmm. very... It doesn't, you know, maybe churchy. It kind of makes them, they have associations that is something dry about it. Yeah, or it's like same, you know, same story over and over again. That's right. Yeah. Whereas, but I mean, the emotion, though, is so close to the surface. Yeah. I mean, how could it not be as they are living through this catastrophic age and they are painting these scenes of the passion, which is just an old word that means suffering. And it seems like they just took a huge range of human emotion and poured it into this one story Mm -hmm. of this first century man from Judea Mm -hmm. who lived a short, hard life with a horrific end. And here you and I are looking at an adoration Mm -hmm. and a lamentation. And to me, I find this very moving because... My experience with my brother and with spending all that time in hospital rooms and by a bedside, which I'm sure everyone has done in one sense or another, mm-hmm. your heart kind of brims at the same time as it breaks. Mm. It's, it's very sad, but it's also very beautiful. You yeah. lament and you adore. It kind of, you move back and forth between these, these states. Mm-hmm. 
This really does feel like a townhouse. That's yeah, cool, right? <laughs> really nice townhouse. I know. It is very nice. There's also, if you go to the other side yeah. through it, there's a, a very comfy couch, which is good. Okay. Go sit in on a break or something. Patrick and I keep going. We walk out of the quiet Lehman collection and we walk towards the stairs up to the 19th and early 20th century European paintings. It's amazing how much, how the sound, I mean, even just looking at my recorder, how, how much the sound changes between different like parts of this museum. One thing you, you learn as a guard, which yeah. is very interesting, is that the way things are lighted determine how loud it is. Really? A hundred percent. What do you mean? So the, if you go into the Asian galleries, mm-hmm. they're very dark. And as a result, everybody whispers because they feel as if, I don't know, like when you're in a dark place, it's probably something in our evolution that doesn't want to, you know, scare the tiger that might kill us or I don't know what the the case is. But they'll walk through the door and immediately start whispering. Whereas if you're in galleries like this, we're walking through a quite a somewhat bright gallery Mm -hmm. and it just feels like a bowling alley to people. They just, you know, (laughs) they just talk however they will. Yeah. You're less reverent in some way. Patrick and I make it to the Impressionist and Post-Impressionist art. This is one of the busiest wings of the Met. It's full of huge, lush, world-famous paintings. So yeah, we've, okay. we've walked into the, the 19th century European paintings. As you can see, it's gotten much busier. Um, this yes. is a very popular place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're by Renoir's and Monet's and Van Gogh's mm-hmm. and Big Oz over Vegas, here. Yeah. I think if you don't know a lot about art, you can think of it as pretentious or it can make you feel dumb. <laughs> and you can walk through a museum and think, oh, that's Starry Night. I know Starry Night. And then you can think, oh, I don't know this artist, so I don't know how to access it. I wonder, like, what a good, you know, we say this as we enter a room of some of Monet's most famous paintings. <laughs> but I wonder if, like, if we stand in front of a painting, like, how do you just kind of, like, let yourself see and feel and not get stuck in in what you know or what you don't know. Just kind of like let a painting open up to you. You, you have to want to do that, yeah. right? I mean, Monet is a great example because I think that for a while, my home section was the old masters and I sort of was a little bit dismissive of Monet because you think of him as very pretty. Mm-hmm. He's on all sorts of postcards right. and calendars. Um, but then I spent more time working here and you say, okay, let's just open myself up to it and start looking at the pictures. Mm-hmm. And when you do, he's such a great painter. Yeah. Um, and he's a great painter, not because of you know, some reason an art historian said, it's because there is much to feed on. I mean, this is a late Monet yeah. uh, that we're looking at, a water lilies that is sort of wild. It's kind of has these broad gestures like an old man painted it. He was an old man who painted it, who at that time was not worried about making things particularly pretty, Uh was not having like the most controlled strokes. Yeah, it's like kind of, it's dark. It's darker than a lot of his other paintings. It's like very, I don't know the words. This is like describing wine. It's like gestural. (laughs) It's like sort of big sort of strokes that seems like hastier in a way. I don't know why. Yes. It sort of reminds you of the quality of the world when 
you're looking at it and you notice all the details. Right. That, you know, if you and I look around us in this room, we're in a room with dozens of people mm -hmm. and every one of these people is wearing clothes and making gestures <laughs> and then there's also this light that is bouncing off them in different ways and yeah. this floor is worn in an interesting way mm -hmm. and like if we were to actually absorb that mm -hmm. you know we just would almost be struck dumb trying to wrap our minds around it right and oftentimes monet paintings and impressionist paintings are essentially trying to put that feeling onto the canvas. Yeah. Like really being like, wow, I'm going to really look at what these waves look like. And I'm not going to try to make it look like a photograph. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to make it look like the movement of reality right. that's happening in this room right now. Right. Look um, like how it feels. Look like how it, yes. Yeah. And I mean, when he does that well, which he doesn't always, but sometimes he just nails it, you're just like, ooh, man, that is, mm -hmm. that is, that's something else. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any, like, rules for looking at art? <laughs> Do you have any advice that you give people as they're trying to figure out what they like? Yes. So I think the first, your first responsibility is to do nothing. And it's very hard. Yeah. But if, you know, we've just walked into the Van Gogh paintings. Everyone knows something about Van Gogh. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've decided you like it. Maybe you've decided you haven't. But I really think for art to do its work spend some time looking at it and being like I'm not letting my ideas get in between me and the picture mm -hmm. I'm not letting my first impression be the only impression I want to spend time looking at the details of this thing looking at the wholeness of this thing mm -hmm. looking at then start paying attention to how you feel mm -hmm. if you feel anything at all you're not out to decide whether this is a good painting or a great painting or a terrible painting first decide like it does this do anything to me yeah and then my next rule would to be go away and look at other things and learn something and then return yeah. you know return keep returning like don't ever totally make up your mind about these things right. um you know if you've decided van gogh is into your taste that's fine but also like there's reasons why people think he's a great painter probably right so isn't it worth it to <laughs> yeah. isn't it worth it to continue to look and see if you can extract some of that and maybe yeah. you never will and that's yeah. fine too yeah yeah, yeah. At the end of our tour, I find a quiet room to ask Patrick one last question. I read one of my favorite quotes from his book back to him. In the scene from the quote, he's standing in a gallery as a guard. He's just watched a businessman finish what seemed like a very urgent call. And he writes this. He writes, I ponder what a rare set of duties I have for the modern world. Unlike most people, I have no ball to push forward, no project to advance, no future I am building toward. I could work at this job for 30 years and I will have made no progress per se. And I find myself happy to be going nowhere. And uh, I just like, I'd love to hear your reflections on this, that time you spent here. I do feel like when I got to come here every day and be a guard, which means that all I need to do is keep my hands empty and my head up and I'm doing a perfect job. It allowed me kind of incredible freedom in my thinking to move in different directions, not just forward, but different directions. Yeah. I would even play little games sometimes mm -hmm. to just see what would happen. I would look at people and I would say, well, why don't I try to have the same kind of um, sympathy for them than I might have to this 
person in that picture there. Mm. I look at that portrait and I think, oh my God, isn't it amazing? You know, there there's a person that Van Gogh painted a hundred some years ago, and isn't there something so lovely about her? And she's an older woman, and um, and you're like, look around in the room, and you're like, oh well, there's one of those right over there. <laughs> like, what will it feel like if I kind of look at her like she's a painting? Mm. And then what if I looked at these paintings a little bit like they were people that you know, run the deli in my neighborhood or yeah. whatever. You can just kind of, I don't know, keep trying to find angles like that. Yeah. Keep trying to see what it is that, what centers of your brain can be lit up by this stuff. Yeah. What allows you path to move, to create interesting thoughts. It's been two hours, so it's time to let Patrick go. We walk out of the museum together, back the way we came through medieval, through ancient Greece, through the Great Hall, and out the entrance. As we walk, Patrick is waving and chatting and fist-bumping with the guards we pass. They are his former colleagues. And when we say goodbye on the steps, he and the guard that's manning the front door slap hands. The guard then looks at me and looks down at my recorder. What's up, Whatever he says, don't listen. Oh, don't believe it. Okay. It's all made up. Uh, two hours in. No, no. <laughs> uh, Patrick, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Lila, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. Next week, I hope to see some of you at the FT Weekend Festival. It is in London at Kenwood House on Saturday, September 2nd. I will be there. I'm hosting a panel about the booming genre of food memoir. I'm doing a cooking demo of Chinese cooking with my colleague Fisha Dunlop. There are also a ton of other panels and guests. There's Succession creator Jesse Armstrong. There's the artist Cornelia Parker, the author Leila Slamani, and of course, my incredible colleagues who you hear every week on the show. We have links and a special discount for you in the show notes. As you know, we love hearing from you. The show is on Twitter at FT Weekend Pod, and I am on Instagram and Twitter, but mostly talking to you on Instagram at Lila Rapp. I am Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my talented team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Monique Malima is our intern. And our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Special shout out this week to Molly Nugent. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll find each other again and maybe see each other next week. <laughs>